I don't know who you are, young lady, but you certainly know how to handle yourself well. Batman! Bat girl? Bat girl? Bat girl! Yes, bat girl. Biff Bam Pal. This is Batman Land. Our purpose here is quite serious. Each week we chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. We might as well get a few laughs out of it. Discussing the episodes that aired this week on SBS Vice Land. My name is Dan Barrett. I work here on an SBS website called The Guide. And joining me is the Rat King of SBS. It's Nick Bassine. I don't understand. Why am I the Rat King? You know. Is there a Rat King in these episodes? No, but there were lots of rats. So they were mice. Well, mice. Oh my god. Mice, rats. Either same way, thing. I'm happy to be here. I'm not sure that's true. That's absolutely true. This is the best part of my week. Really? Yeah. Man, that's a dark outlook for what goes on on a week-to-week basis there for Nick Bassine. Well, I don't get to have these kinds of frank and open conversations with uh, with close friends like we're doing right now. Yeah, I'm not a close friend. Fine. No, whatever. You, I'm saying you are. Are you? Oh, geez. Yeah. God, we see each other once a week talking about Batman. I know. Yeah. Well, this is as good as it gets for me. So Nick Bassine, star of, we heard you recently on local radio. Yeah. You were, you were doing a segment. I was. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about an article of yours. Let's talk about that briefly. Okay. What was the article? The article was titled, here's a list of things you hear if you're not white in Australia. Yeah. So it's talking about microaggressions yes, that you're hearing. That's right. Uh, you can find the article on the SBS website. So if you just do a search for the headline, which was... Here's a list of things you hear if you're not white in Australia. Yeah. And it's an interesting article. And you're recounting an incident where you were out drinking with a guy. Well, I wasn't with this guy. I was trying to be by myself. Yeah. And he wanted to talk to me desperately about how we're all too attached to our phones. And were you on your phone when this conversation began? I was uh, watching a television show on my iPad. What was the show? I'm sure it was on SBS Viceland. It was dead lucky if I... Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. So anyway, the guy comes over, has a chat with you. Yeah. So he uh, he wanted to talk about how we are all, um, we don't read books anymore and newspapers. And I assured him that I did read books and newspapers, but just on my tablet or portable device. And I listened to him rail on about it for 45 minutes. And then I said, I got to go. I have to go home. This has been great. And he said, where's that Bangladesh? I was enraged. <laughs> yeah. And, but all I could manage was, um, nope, I live around the corner. Yeah. And do you get this a lot? No, I don't have those kinds of interactions with strangers uh, all that often. But over the course of my 11 years here and growing up in the United States, I've certainly had, I've got a collection of stories. Yeah. And it's like just the little things that like niggle away at you just... Yeah, because nobody is um, hurling slurs at each other in the open anymore. That's not mm-hmm. how racism uh, operates. It's uh, it's more subtle and, you know, you're having a conversation with somebody about how it, uh, suddenly Indians are rude. It just comes up. It just happens. Yeah. And I mean, you're a horribly rude person, but it's got nothing to do with your ethnicity. No, nothing to do with that. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. You're just a terrible human being. I just don't like people. Yeah. No. But no, it's... Outrageous. But anyway, it's a really interesting article, so I do recommend people check that out. Yeah, people should check it out. But I mentioned you were talking about this on the radio recently. That's right. And the lady introduced you as Nicholas Barcine. Yeah, she um, put the emphasis on the first syllable. where It should it should be a little bit more subtle. It's more Barcine. Yeah. And you don't need to elongate that first syllable. But it's a difficult name um, to pronounce, so... I don't hold it against her. Yeah, but in the days that have followed, I've done nothing but call you Barcine. <laughs> and is that being microaggressive? No. In high school, my friends 
and before high school, every class I had, someone would butcher my name and that became my nickname for the year yeah. uh, for my high school friends. Now, people may have noticed that we're a couple of minutes into the podcast and we're not yet talking about Batman. Well. I would dare suggest this is because I don't think either of us are really looking forward to talking about this first episode of Batman, which has some questionable material in it. Well, but, speaking of microaggressions, <laughs> these, are, these are more macroaggressions. Very much macroaggressions. We're going to talk about two episodes on this week's Batman Land. We're going to talk about Nora Clavicle and the Ladies Crime Club, which aired originally on the 18th of January 1968. And we're going to chat about the Penguin's Clean Sweep, which aired on the 25th of January 1968. Now, the first episode featuring the villainous Nora Clavicle. I don't know. She's from the comics, right? <laughs> Uh, no, she is not. She is explicitly from the TV show. But Nick, I don't remember anything that took place in this episode. Can you please remind us what horrors occurred? Okay, so Commissioner Gordon is being honored at a luncheon, even though he hasn't done a day of police work in his life. I really don't think I deserve all this. He gets a watch and then he gets fired. Boom. And Nora Clavicle, a woman's rights advocate, takes his place. Taken over by women. Because of the shame of it. Her first act as commissioner is to fire Batman. They don't need men in tights or in the police force. She gets rid of all the men in the police force and replaces them with women. Women will finally take their rightful place in the world. Her scantily clad lady goons are able to rob a bank because these lady cops are too busy putting on makeup and talking about cooking. What's that, Carson? A clearance sale at Arbeck's. But it's all an extremely unelaborate trap for Batman, Robin, and Batgirl. They get tied up in a human knot, which is not unlike the human centipede. Holy slip disc! Thanks to years of incompetence, Gordon and O'Hara end up in the unemployment line as Nora Clavicle unleashes explosive robot mice into the city, which terrify the lady cops. I'm going to faint. The crime fighters play a tune on their flutes, leading the mice into the sea. Gordon, O'Hara, and Alfred arrest Clavicle and her assistants. Where with Clavicord behind bars? Chief O'Hara, that's Clavicle. Gordon gets a call. The Penguin is back. Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> penguin is caught breaking into the mint, but he doesn't steal anything. What he did was infect all the money with bacteria, the Ligerian sleeping sickness. Normally carried by the Ligerian fruit fly. Penguin and his goons vaccinate themselves. Holy hyperdermics! And attack Batman and Robin with fruit flies. You got one, Batman. People hear about the infected money and start leaving it on the street. Much a moolah everywhere. Penguin sweeps it up, but they can't spend it. What do you mean you can't accept my money? So he unleashes his flies on the city to put everyone to sleep so he can loot the city. Batman, Robin, and Batgirl and Chief O'Hara pretend to be asleep and then beat the hell out of the penguin who gets the sleeping sickness. I've been tricked! Some people named Calamity Jan and Frontier Fanny and Shane are up to something in the prison. And of course, the Vietnam War uh, rages on. Now, Nick Barsane. <laughs> yeah, yes. Present. Yeah. Present. Nor clavicle. Let's maybe start there. Can we start the um, rampant sexism counter? <laughs> Get a little ding every time something horrifying happens? If we try that, our producer, as he's trying to audio engineer this thing, is going to get so sleepy, he's going to have effectively like a Ligerian sleeping illness. Or maybe we can have a background noise where you hear SBS's charter being crumpled up and thrown <laughs> into the trash. Yeah, now this is an episode which, I'll be frank, left me a little bit uncomfortable. I was less uncomfortable than um, just utterly bewildered. Why on a children's show are they taking shots at women's rights advocates and just women in general? It just seems very strange. Even Batgirl is anti-woman. It's crazy. Yeah, Batgirl hates feminists, as she we learn. really hates them. 
So this episode, we really need to provide the cultural framework, which is that jokes like this were fairly mainstream and it wasn't like there was any necessary malice being intended, but this is really part of cultural discourse at the time, which obviously when you watch this now, I was horrified at some of the jokes being made. Yeah. So this is essentially, if, if you haven't watched the episode yet, and can, if you can believe it, some people listen to Batman Land without having seen the episodes. So we probably need to give this context. Uh, what we've got here is a villain named Nora Clavicle. Now, she's supposed to be a parody of Gloria Steinem. Okay, so the play on words, and it's a little bit of a reach here, but Steinem, Sternum, Clavicle. I, I don't know how, if it was just Dozier that came up with it by himself or the writer or, or what, but that is terrible. Oh, look, it is a reach. I mean, who's going to get that? How did you get that? Where did you read? You read it somewhere, I assume. Oh, I read that. There yeah. was no way I was putting that. No, it's together. crazy. Yeah. When I looked at it, I'm like, this is nuts. But we open up with this opening scene where they're sitting at a dais and they're waiting for Commissioner Gordon's it's some sort of ceremony about Gordon. Okay? Yeah, they're giving they're giving him a an, He's getting an award, a platitude award, yeah. of some description. Yeah. So there, for some reason, you've got both Dick and Bruce up on stage. Don't understand why. Yeah, who knows? You got Chief O'Hara, you got Commissioner Gordon, you've got Gordon's daughter Barbara. Sure. Okay, which I could kind of buy, like, obviously Makes Gordon's wife isn't in the scene anymore, so his daughter... Oh, what happened to there. his wife? Do we know? Uh, actually, that's a good point, because she was around in earlier seasons. That's right. They always complained. She was. He was always complaining about her. Yeah, but ever since Barbara moved into town, he hasn't mentioned her once. Yeah, it's an award ceremony. You'd think his wife would be there. Hmm. Anyway, maybe she's passed maybe, away in between seasons. Or maybe she just left him because of his incompetence. Hmm. Maybe. Barbara Gordon's there. Yep. Mayor Linseed is there. And also, each of these people have a nameplate in front of them with their full name, first and last, until you reach the mayor's wife, Mrs. Linseed, and her plaque read, Mrs. Linseed. Yeah. Anyway, Mrs. Linseed. No first name for her. No. Clearly very upset about the way that she's been treated in 1968 society. She's gotten quite supportive of Nora Clavicle, an outspoken feminist. Yep. And she has declared that the mayor needs to make her the new commissioner of police. Right. Her being Nora Clavicle. So Nora Clavicle ends up replacing Commissioner Gordon. Now, in Makes the mayor's defense, sense. in the mayor's defense, he had no other choice. Mrs. Linseed wasn't going to do his washing for him anymore or cook for him. What else could he do but listen to his wife's demands that she'll start doing that again if he replaces the commissioner of police? Yeah, that's right. He said he hadn't eaten a decent meal in a very long time and his clothes uh, were unwashed. What other options does the man have? And I thought it was fascinating that he ends up explaining his commissioner Gordon, the man who just had his entire livelihood stripped away from him. And Gordon's like, you know what? I understand. I get it, brother. I mean, it's a, it's remarkable how easy it is just to get rid of the commissioner. I would think you would have done it a long time ago because he's horribly inept. He's terrible. All he does is call Batman. Mm. But um, yeah, I guess he, he kind of takes it lying down. Now, Nora Clavicle, when she comes in, she actually starts doing things that to me seem like exactly what you should be doing in Gotham City. Her first act, replace Chief O'Hara. There's yeah. a positive move. Yeah, very good idea. She does replace him with Mrs. Linseed, which is maybe not necessarily the most ethically sound choice to be making. I suppose, but it's an upgrade nevertheless. Absolutely an upgrade. Next positive thing she does, gets on the phone to Batman and Robin says, hey, look, guys, don't need you around anymore. Cuts the bat line. You know, no more Batman and Robin's connection to the police department. Positive move, I'd say. Fantastic. Yeah. Next move takes care of the equality issues with the Gotham City Police Department where I haven't seen any female cops yet. 
basically just ends up hiring a whole bunch of females to get out there and do some cop work. Yeah, the representation goes way up. Suddenly there are female cops. Yeah, these are all positive things. That's pretty positive. And then it takes a turn. It takes a massive turn. Here's the thing. The episode presents the fact that you've got all these women hired as cops and they're not very good at their jobs because as the show posits, not the way I would phrase this, but as the way the show posits, because they're women, they can't police properly. They're doing lipstick instead of stopping bank robberies. They're talking about sales. The lady who takes care of like police dispatch, she's more focused on the sales that are taking place and directing people to that rather than to the police work that needs doing. Do you think that the perspective of the show is that women are bad at all jobs or only serious police man jobs? Look, the way that the show seems to present it is that women are bad at serious, important, male-oriented jobs. Because Barbara's a librarian. Yeah, and she's seen as someone of whom is good at her job, and her colleague is also a woman, and both of them seem like they're running the library perfectly fine. But there, other than that, are there any other women with jobs on this show? Look, they're usually just sort of seen as like sales clerks and yes. like other sort of traditional sort of female jobs. It's very rare that you see like a bank teller that's a woman. It's very rare that you see like a doctor who's a woman. Yes. Like none of that happens in the show. Yeah, Although yeah, we did true. see a scientist and I don't think you were there for that episode, Nick. But we saw a scientist and she was working, I think it was a Riddler episode as I recall. But she was working there, except that scientists, while she was a woman, she was also wearing an incredibly short miniskirt, which didn't seem like uh, the most professional Like a lot sound. of scientists at the time. Mm. Like that stuff was so over the top and crazy. Uh, I mean, it was an obvious problem, but there's also there were also this just this weird attitude when like Alfred would say, when the, com- the new commissioner called, Alfred said, it's her. And there was just this... It was just dripping with misogyny. Yeah, every character suddenly became an MRA dude. Yeah, it was Mm. very strange. And I think Alfred at one point says, we men are counting on you to Batman? He did say that. What is he talking about? I mean, clearly the normal thing to have done would would have been to this woman usurps uh, the police department and, and she's a criminal and she wants to steal a bunch of stuff. Why would the only the men want her out of business? It's crazy. It's completely nuts. Now I'm going to come to the show's defense slightly. Now the show, Uh-oh. the show never <laughs> content warning, no, no. Trigger, trigger warning. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. <laughs> the show never frames it this way, so this is me inferring way too much onto it. But I would dare suggest that if you're going to hire a whole bunch of people to suddenly take over being police officers, you're probably not necessarily getting the brightest and smartest people out there. So the fact they're not responding to the crimes may not necessarily be an issue of gender as much as the fact that they've not gone through police training. But I would suggest oh, that I even your basic saying. beat cop, if they're going out there on day one of their police work, if they haven't been through the police academy, and we know what sort of hilarity takes place at the police academy, but if that hasn't happened, then there's more than likely the idea that they probably wouldn't be putting on lipstick instead of stopping the crime. So your, your theory is that They have pulled these women out of um, some scenario where maybe that is all they know is lipstick, shoes, cooking. Possibly. And made them police women. And so naturally, they might not be talking about stopping crimes. It might just take a couple of weeks for people to settle into their new roles. Okay. But the show, I'd also like to stress, does not frame it that this is a possibility. 
I am just maybe no, saying you're being off the charts charitable. I am being the show astronomically charitable yes. to the show. Which um, I think it's nice that you have that impulse. I'm a half class full kind of a guy. But it's probably it's yeah, you're you've probably never been more wrong in your life. Oh no, I know for a fact that I am completely wrong. Much in the same way that Nora Clavicle, of whom purports to be a feminist, I know that she is wrong by dressing her goons yes. in scantily clad evening wear. How about that? What's that about? And she's wearing a, a suit or something, right? She's very appropriately dressed. She's wearing professional wear. Why does she need to be adorned by um, that kind of... Why does that have to happen? It doesn't make any sense. I think it does make sense because of the misogyny of the producers of this TV show. Right, okay. Were we aware of some 60s stereotype that women are afraid of mice? Or is that just a general women are afraid of bugs and... Um... I, I think that's what it's supposed to be. Okay. Now, while I have to say I was completely aghast at the episode up until the mice part came in, when the mice came in, suddenly I had a flashback to watching this as a kid and I remembered oh, the... Oh, you remembered it. I remember the flute gear that takes place towards the end of the episode. And I actually really do like the um, staging of the scenes where you've got Batman, Robin, and uh, Batgirl with the flutes. and Because we regularly see them at the wharfs on this show. But instead of going to that same bit of set dressing that they usually have for that, they created this sort of weird conceptual idea of what the wharfs look like. It's all black and white lines. and It was a uh, it was, crazy shift in tone. It was a crazy shift in tone, but it was a welcome shift in tone. To get away from the misogyny. Look, anything that breaks that up, I think, is really quite beneficial. But I kind of like just that visual aesthetic of the black and white. I thought uh, that was kind of fun. Yeah, I, I can see the fun side. I just didn't understand why it wasn't an exterior shot, why they had to create it that way. They were just being stylistic. It was like an Oscars musical number in the <laughs> 70s or something. Yeah, yeah. It was very strange. And they're very animated when they're playing the flute. They get really into it. Very committed as performers. I love the moment where you've got that one last robot mouse thing of which won't go into the water. So Batman gets down low and, you know, encourages him out. So strange. It's, such, it's a very strange show. It's one of the few times this season that I think the show's done something interesting and conceptual. And for that, I want to celebrate that. The rest of the episode... Well, that the rest garbage of, fire. It's also conceptual. I mean, this. Oh, look, there's uh, some concepts. Uh, yeah, not to bring it back to the ugliness, but Batgirl's line is, "I might have known you can't get police women to help you catch mice," and she says it with this derision. She just she hates these women. I might have known you can't get police women to help you catch mice. It's diabolical. Yeah, it's very confronting. What other shows at the time would have been so, forgetting that this is supposed to be a children's show, but would have been so obvious? Like even was Bewitched this sexist? Well, like Bewitched was immediately what I was thinking of when you just mentioned that. And I think about like you Bewitched, your I Dream of Genies and all I that. Of, conceptually, I, yeah, you, you rub the lamp and the the uh, scantily clad lady come, jumps out. But. Yeah, but even then it kind of, and look, I'm going by memory, I'd don't have a complete recall over all the episodes of I Dream of Jeannie. But even that show was actually fairly progressive in giving her her own sense of agency. Like the men are the goofballs, right? They're the men just were kind the goofballs. Of, yeah, they walk Like that Roger Healy guy. guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I just can't figure out where to put this into the, the culture. And I, I think it just goes along with the um, anti-progressive messages that the show <laughs> has had over the years. Yeah. In terms of war hippies. I have to say, when we reached the end of the episode and it segues over to the Penguin, I was pretty excited to see that we're going on to a brand new episode. 
Yeah, well, yeah, it was nice to uh, move past um, that um, sordid business. Yeah. Now, I have to say, this is probably not necessarily one of the worst episodes of season three by any means. No. It was kind of fun. I think Penguin had a lot of great lines. I think it was probably one of the better episodes, in fact. Yeah. Now, this is an episode which we're saying goodbye to the Penguin. We don't have Burgess Meredith back on the show as the Penguin, but interesting piece of trivia, not the last time that he played the Penguin on screen. Burgess Meredith, he actually made an appearance in the TV show The Monkeys in the episode Monkeys Blow Their Minds, and he played the Penguin in just an uncredited cameo. Just to come on as the Penguin? Was Batman there? No. Just Burgess Meredith as the (laughs) Penguin. Yeah, sure. It's the Monkeys. um, I don't mean to break up your flow here, but I, um, I recently watched the first Rocky again. Yeah. Burgess Meredith is great. I've never actually seen him in a movie before, except for obviously the 1966 Batman movie. Yeah, I haven't seen any of the other stuff. But he did a whole bunch of stuff um, in the 40s, and but I, I haven't seen any of that. Anyway, Rocky is great. Yeah, it's one of these things I've always meant to watch. Like I have seen parts of Rocky. I've You've never, never seen Rocky? I've seen parts of it, but I've never watched the full thing. Oh my God, it's a great movie. It really holds up. I hear good things. But at the end of the last episode, we found the Penguin giving uh, Commissioner Gordon a call asking if he's ever heard of the lethal Ligerian fruit fly. Yeah, why Why is he tipping off the commissioner to his plan? Yeah, it seemed like a weird phone call to make. Yeah, it was. It was very odd. Yeah, but in the first scene of the first episode, of the next episode, you see him rocking up at the Gotham City branch of the Mint. Yep. The Federal Mint. He is believed to be up to some sort of shenaniganry, but maybe he's not. I'm going to posit this question as we discuss the full episode. Did the penguin actually do anything wrong in this episode? Well, he infected money with bacteria that did puts he, people though? to sleep. Yeah, he did. How do you infect the city if the fruit flies can't actually survive at the temperature of 45 degrees? Oh, just because you didn't you didn't succeed. I mean, you can be tried for attempted murder. Well, there's an attempt. Yeah, exactly. I, you're proposing some very um, anarchic um, ideas here. I'm just saying that much like how Batman's gone in to defend the city of Gotham as a lawyer in court, I'd be more than happy to try to represent the Penguin at some stage. Well, don't you think it's interesting that in in so many of the Penguin's episodes, he is committing a crime while trying to be perceived as not committing a crime? I mean, even in this one at the very beginning, Batman and Robin arrest him, but then the Penguin claims that yeah. it was a legal arrest. Just like him opening a restaurant or uh, <laughs> a film studio. or It's always a cover. Yeah. Which is very clever. The Penguin's not one of your favorite bad guys. No, but I actually think this might be my favorite Penguin episode. He, there are a lot of great lines. It's very funny. I loved him calling uh, Batgirl Bat Trash. <laughs> that was pretty funny. That's because you're a misogynist. Um, you would have fit right in on that last episode. That's not fair. <laughs> um, I also liked him calling Chief O'Hara um, mutton-headed and that he, in saying that he looks like he's sleeping even when he's awake. That was pretty good. It was very funny. I like there was a scene where the Ligerian fruit fly landed on Robin's face and has this really uncomfortable close-up on Burt Ward. Yeah, and he's cross-eyed and oh my <laughs> God. I don't think I've ever seen it so close up front. It was pretty intense. Yeah, I think I was checking for um, facial blemishes. That's yeah. how close up we It seems were. like he had some freckles going on. A little bit, maybe a little acne maybe. Yeah. Uh, there were a couple of interesting cameos in this one and cameos guest stars. So you got one which is a genuine cameo. And it was an actor named John Burdino. He's the guy that played the doctor. Yeah. Okay, so he that's actually supposed to be a bit of a joke because he played a doctor at the same time on uh, General Hospital. Oh. So he played the character of Dr. Steve Hardy 
and he was in that show from 1963 through to 1994, which is a pretty healthy run. When he was replaced by Steve Harvey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unexpected <laughs> hiring there. Wow. Uh, he's also played a doctor in a number of other shows, including The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, what? The Love Boat, and a TV movie called A Guide for the Married Woman. Oh, my God. That's so interesting that we need a doctor. Let's get this guy who's played do a doctor a million times. Yeah, why not? Uh, also in the show, and this was one that sort of stuck out at me, uh, there's a guy named Abel Fernandez. Now, in this one he Abel played... Abel Ferreira. It was not Abel Ferreira. Uh, Fernandez. Right. He played thug number one in the show. Uh -huh. But what was interesting about him is that less than 10 years prior, he was actually a cast member on a very high-profile TV show, but his career had fallen to the point of playing thug number one. But he was on The Untouchables. Oh. Yeah, he was on like 80-plus episodes of it. Uh, he played Bill Youngfellow, who was a native Indian-American member of The Untouchable Squad. Oh, really? Yeah, his character is actually based on a real-life Untouchable, uh, who went by the name of William Jennings Gardner. Oh, cool. Hmm. Wait, so is the Untouchables the show more true to the real story than the movie? Uh, okay, so what happened was uh, just before Elliot Ness passed away, which I think was about 1957, he released a autobiography. Mm -hmm. I think he co-wrote it. I don't think it was like a, you know, he actually penned the whole thing. Because uh, Elliot Ness, after he had uh, been in law enforcement, I know he tried to become mayor at one point. Uh, but he wrote this autobiography and he died just before the book got released. But that book served as the inspiration for the TV show. And then, like, it's technically the movie, but the movie, I think, is more a bit of an homage to the TV show. So it's about the idea of the show rather than an actual oh, straight adaptation. Okay. But over the course of the real Untouchables, mm. were there, there people that came in and out or was it the same group of people? I think it was like a revolving group of people. Okay. But there were about 13 Untouchables, apparently. Whereas in the movie, it's more like four or five. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And the movie, it's really just a team of four of them, including Elliot Ness. Yeah. Okay. So the actual scheme of the Penguin seems to be to create the false panic that there's something wrong with the money so that everybody tips money out, just throws it on the street of Gotham, yeah. which to me is maybe a bad thing. If I found out I had infected money in my wallet, I would maybe get a plastic bag out and put the money in that and have it put aside somewhere safe. Because I would think that if you're just throwing it out on the streets, you're maybe just spreading the disease. Yeah, from a from an outbreak perspective, mm. it doesn't seem uh, safe. But also, no one's reimbursing you for that money. I mean, that's the other thing as well. You're just kind of throwing away your money. And Batman has pretty much been the guy out there saying, hey, look, throw your money out. He got the people on the radio to start broadcasting that there's problems with the money. That's socialism, Batman. Here's what I think is really going on. Bruce Wayne fair bit of cash to his name, if he gets everyone else to throw out their money, does the value of his money not go up? Yes. Isn't that going a deflation? I'm well, not an economist only yet. If they, only if they start printing more money to replace the money that's landed on the ground without them retrieving the money and destroying it to maintain that the same inflation, volume. inflation, I think, though. If there's less cash to go around, I think it's the opposite. When, when are we getting an economist on this show? For economy land? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that's after Batman Land. Right, okay. When we wound it up in a few weeks. Right. Another favorite moment of mine of uh, this episode is when Bruce Wayne is calling those people overseas and he's shouting into the phone. <laughs> I guess that's what you used to do when you called overseas. Just the shout because they, they couldn't hear it. I mean, that was very funny. I mean, lines aren't as good. But I would think you would more enunciate rather than just shout. But Look, Absolutely. Uh, I think it's probably important to really consider with this episode as well. It's got a strong anti-littering theme. And we are introduced to this right at the beginning with Barbara being elected chairman 
of the Gotham City anti-littering campaign. Gosh, yes. Yeah, a clean a city clean is city a healthy, is a healthy city. city. Very much so. As Dick says. Mm. So Nick Bassine, let's maybe sum this up. This episode of Batman, I'd say pretty, pretty good. Yeah. That yeah. second episode, yeah, definitely. And this season is definitely a mixed bag of episodes, but this is... It's know. been uneven. This was a highlight, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah almost a return to form. Mm, absolutely. I really enjoyed that one. Nick Bassine, let's maybe wind this thing out with the lessons that we've learned this week from the Bright Knight himself. Uh, what did you take away from Batman? In addition to learning that Alfred is a secret men's rights activist, mm. I also learned that in cooler weather... Ligerian fruit flies uh, will perish and can infect people. Yeah. Uh, Gotham's 45 degrees. Fahrenheit. Yeah. Do you know what that is in Celsius? It's very confusing to me. Okay. I think it would probably be around 17. Yeah. It'd be a chilly morning in Gotham City. A chilly morning in Gotham City. Nope. I was wrong. What does it work out to? It's seven. Seven degrees. Which is pretty cold. That's chilly. But not really. It gets a lot colder in Gotham City, I would imagine. Maybe. I learned a couple of things in the episode. I learned that when your budget's been reduced dramatically, but you still want some sort of crazy death trap for your main uh, heroic trio, you can just put them into a human knot. Right. Mm. Did that also remind you of the human centipede? Uh, somewhat. There's maybe a second lesson I learned this week, though, Nick, and that might be that Mrs. Gordon is no longer with us. Or she's been David Miscovidged. <laughs> Nick Messine, this is the end of the Batman land. People can find you on Twitter. Where does that happen? Uh, people can find me at wemenarecountingonyou.biz underscore myspace. And is that on Twitter or is this a secret Reddit thread? Actually, it's a little bit confusing. Let's, uh, it's part of the intellectual dark web. But let's just go with um, at Nick Pacine. Intellectual dark web. So that's where lots of people are making very racist, sexist comments while with like leather patches on their elbows and also commentary about the TV show Frasier. Leather patches? I don't know about that. Uh, what's the leather patches? Isn't it leather patches that people usually sew on, like those professor jackets? Oh, professors. Yeah, 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 yeah. On the intellectual dark web. But there are professors who have elbow patches that aren't on the intellectual dark web. If people want to find me, they can find me on Twitter at the Dan Barrett. If you're enjoying Batman Land, please leave reviews. Helps people find the show. Also, Nick, I'm not sure if you've noticed, we are right near the end of the series. Yeah, it's terrifying. We have a precious and limited number of episodes left. Three more. Yeah. I'm so nervous. Folks, Strap yourself in. Next week, we see the return of Shame. That classic Batman villain. He's been in it once before. I don't think you were on those episodes, no, though. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about Shame. We're going to bring in our good friend Ben Newen. He's the channel manager at SBS and previous Batman Land guest. Uh, but classic guest. Yeah. Huge Batman fan. That's right. He has Batman pajamas. He very much does. And I assume he'll be wearing them into the studio. Hey, will you promise me something? Even when this show is done, will we still get together and talk about Batman? Oh, I just assumed that was going to happen. Okay. Folks, until then, same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel. We'll see you next time.